Amen. Check this one out. Hey, it started out just like any other day in this small English village with people journeying into town to share their wares and do business, and including one traveler with a seemingly innocent box of laundry. That's all. The only problem, it was laced with a deadly plague. And the next thing you know, 80% of the population was totally annihilated. Now, first it started with a splitting headache, and then the glands, including the tongue, began to swell abnormally, and then their skin turned a wretched black. In fact, so ghastly and so fearful were people of contracting this disease that when only one person of the home came down with it, listen, the whole house was sealed, condemning the rest of the family to death, healthy, and all. And then they painted a red cross on the door with the inscription saying, the Lord have mercy on us. And because of this, in just a matter of months, this society came to an utter halt. As the few remaining healthy people roamed the streets with wooden carts, I kid you not, shouting, Bring out your dead! Bring out your dead! Whereupon the piles and piles of disfigured corpses were thrown into huge burn pits that produced a constant sickening stench in the air. And believe it or not, folks, a song, listen, a song was actually composed about this plague. And, and believe it or not, it's still sung by kids today. Maybe you've heard of it. It goes like this. Ring around the rosies, pocket full of posies, ashes, ashes. We all fall down. Only in the last line in the original was we all fall down dead. It's how it used to go. The year was 1665. The death toll was over 100,000 people. The killer disease, of course, was the Great Plague of London. Wow. Interesting. How many of you guys have heard of the, that particular plague? Right? So you're familiar with the song, at least. Maybe you didn't realize what you were singing about. Right? Nothing like that. Hey, kids, let's get together and sing the death song. Woo-hoo! Yeah, boy. That's kind of interesting, okay? Uh, but as I think we all agree, hello, that's one of the greatest disasters of all time. Right? Okay? But again, folks, you know the theme. With all due respect to those who lost their lives in that great plague, what if I were to tell you I know of a disease that makes that killer plague look like a common cold? Okay, And what if I were to tell you this disaster didn't occur at just one place at one country at one time, but it's going on right now today, and it has been for centuries, and it's been leaving a trail of death of destruction all over the place. Folks, once again, we are talking about the satanic war on the Christian. And folks, this is what we got to deal with. This is what we got to open our eyes. Okay, The facts of this, we Christians don't just go to war. We go to war every single day. Whether we feel it, see it, believe it or not, the moment you got saved, okay, you entered into a spiritual war against a real demonic host who's out there every single day to get you to destroy your walk with Christ and to extinguish your effectiveness for Jesus Christ as well. So in order for you and I to stop getting duped and beat up all over the place, we're going to continue our study, the satanic war on the Christian. Now, we've already seen if we're going to win this war, hello, the first thing we got to do is deal with it. We got to know who your enemy is. Remember that? The second thing was, what is your enemy like? The third thing, the tactic of your enemy. And the last six times we saw the fourth thing was the destruction of the enemy. What he will do when you don't take this thing serious, because he's out to destroy you, right? And he'll twist things around. We're going to see that again today. But the sixth destruction we saw last time was he'll try to turn you into a depressing Christian. And that's not a good advertisement for Jesus, okay? And we saw he will do that in tricking us into seeking a phony, emotional, temporary high instead of a permanent joy from God most high. And we saw he does that two ways, unfortunately, very effectively, with words of fun, all about entertainment. Don't turn to God, turn to entertainment. Jack up those emotions for that phony, permanent high, uh, uh, temporary high. And then if not, he'll get you all freaked out about your health and ooh. Right? Next thing you know, what are we doing? We're walking around just as gloomy and depressed as everybody else when the whole time we should be what? The most joyful people on the planet. I'm telling you, that is a witness that our world is waiting to see. Okay, And it shows on your countenance, in case you're wondering. Okay, It's all part of Satan's ploy to rob you of God's joy to get you into that state like everybody else, and there's no enticement. Okay, it not only hurts and destroys your walk with Christ, it destroys your witness for Christ. Okay, now that's not all. The fifth thing we got to deal with. Okay, if we're going to stop getting beat and duped up all the place as Christians in this satanic war on the Christian, is now we need to look at the temptation from the enemy, the daily, never-ending, non-stop onslaught of temptation right and that's what he does we not only need to know who our enemy is we not only need to know what they're like we not only need to know what they're up to we not only need to know that you better take this serious because he's out to destroy you but we've got to deal with the reality listen he really is out there and his evil cohorts the demons they're really out there to tempt you every single day to get you to sin against god it's real. It's going on every, every way. And the first temptation that he fires at you and I is he'll try to turn you into this, a twisted Christian. A twisted Christian, okay? 
It's time to open our eyes to this reality, okay? But again, as always, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God's. Open your Bibles to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 6, okay? And if you find 1 Kings, hang it right, right? 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 17. Now, this, is, of course, is the account of Elisha. He's spilling the beans of what the enemy of Israel is doing, okay? And uh, the enemy doesn't like it. And uh, all of a sudden, the enemy wants to come and get Elisha, take him out, right? And so Elisha's servant is freaking out, okay, at the physical army all around him. But this is the classic passage where we are told that, guess what? God's army outnumbers anything the enemy can throw away. Amen? Amen. All right? So let's go ahead and stand as we get ready to read uh, God's word. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8 says this, Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. And after conferring with his officers, he says, I'm going to set up my camp in such and such place. Well, the man of God, Elisha, we'll see in a second, sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. Well, he gave him a heads up. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. And time again and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on guard in such places. He never fell for the traps out there. Well, this obviously enraged the king of Aram, and he summoned his officers and commanded them, Will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? Who's doing this? Well, they said, None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elijah, the prophet who is in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Right? Obviously, God's telling them what he's up to. Now, here's what you do. You need to go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men to capture him. Well, the report came back. He's in Dothan. And then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there, and they went out by night and surrounded the city. Well, when the servant of the man of God, Elijah, Elijah's servant, when he got up and went out early the next morning, what did he see? An army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. And so what's he do? He's freaking out. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? And what's Elijah say? You're right. We're doomed. Ah! Oh, I'm sorry. Wrong translation again. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are what? With us are more than those who are with him. Then Elijah prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Well, then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked. And what did he see? He saw the hills, okay, were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. In other words, it's God's angelic army. You may be seated, okay? But if you're not familiar with this, this is a great classic passage, just one passage, okay, that tells you, guess what? There's a whole other world out there that coexists with us. Okay, it's called the spirit realm. And this is what we see in this passage here. What did Elijah's servant need to have open? It wasn't just open to say, hey, that was kind of a cool trip. What was the purpose of having his eyes open to that reality? So that you could deal with it and understand what's going on so you would stop freaking out. Right? That was the premise there. He needed to see the spirit realm, what was really going on around them, so he could, if you will, take a chill pill and be calm and cool and collected like Elijah. He wasn't freaking out. Right of what was before him, okay, and and that's what we see in our text. Once that happened, when his eyes were open and he could clearly see what that the armies of God far outnumbered the armies of man, and then he could see that we're not alone. That God knows exactly what's going on. God had their back. They weren't outnumbered. They weren't going to lose. They weren't going to be overcome. And just chill out. God Himself was going to war on their behalf. And I don't know if you realize this, but God never, ever, ever loses a fight. Ever once, God always wins, okay? There's no reason to be afraid because the battle belongs to the Lord. Now, that's that context, and I'm here to tell you the premise of our study is we need to open our eyes to the same thing. We need to deal with this reality of spiritual warfare. We don't need to go freak out and get afraid, but we can't go to the other end of the spectrum and act like it's not going on. Because when the enemy comes at you, and he's going to come at you, and sometimes, man, he comes at you, whether it be individually or even corporately as a church, he will come at you with full guns ablazing, so to speak, spiritually. I mean, there's, if you will, to use the vernacular, there's horses, man, there's chariots, and the temptations go, ah! And you get freaked out as a Christian. You don't need to. Now, you got to deal with it, but you don't need to get freaked out. Why? Because do the math, folks. One-third of the angels went with Satan. Flip it around. How many's God got? Two to one, baby. We got the odds, right? <laughs> and plus, hello, God, right? Give me a break, right? And so we need to open our eyes. Listen, we don't, listen, Christian, no matter what we face, no matter what we're up against, we've already got the victory through Jesus Christ. We don't need to freak out. Just open your eyes and realize this. It's real, but I don't need to be afraid because God's got my back. Amen? But you got to deal with it, right? Now, that's why the first Sunday indicate you're becoming this twisted Christian. Things are all messed up, and why isn't things working out? 
okay, is when you no longer believe in spiritual warfare. You're just one of the, I don't know, Pastor Billy, why are you preaching on this? I'm getting sick. We don't need to hear, what do you mean we don't need to hear this? It's in the Bible. We've got to deal with this, folks, right? Because if you don't act like it's not real, the enemy's going to have a heyday with you, right? And you act like, oh, man, why do these things keep happening? It's just, it's all natural. No, it's not always all natural. Now, again, you don't need to freak out. You don't need to be afraid, but you've got to open your eyes and deal with it. Now, the first definition of the word twisted means this, to alter or distort the meaning or character of something. To alter or distort the meaning or character of something. And this is one of the first things the devil does, right? You're a Christian. You got saved. You couldn't keep him from being saved. He couldn't trick you into joining him into the lake of fire. Right? But then he'll come to you, man. Things are going great. You got victory in your walk with Christ. He's already won it for you. Things are going great. But then he hey, hey, wait a second. Wait a second, Jim. I, I know you're a Christian and all, and, and, uh, but you don't believe in that spirit world mumbo-jumbo stuff. All right? I mean, you're not one of those Christians, right? I mean, I already think you're kind of freaky as it is, but you're, you're going to start saying you believe in a guy with a, a walks around the red jumpsuit and a pitchfork? I mean, really? And again, you might think, hey, listen, a twisted belief in spiritual warfare, not that big of a deal. Wrong. People, this is a lie from the pit of hell because the devil knows a twisted belief. Listen, Christian, it leads to a tortured life. Tortured life. And, and the first evidence you're headed for that tortured life is when you start doing just that. You start denying the existence of Satan and demons. Okay, now again, we've already seen this at the very beginning of our study, but let's revisit this aspect again. So we need to understand why we need to open our eyes to this like Elisha's servant and stop freaking out. Okay, and let's just bring up one passage that tells us, folks, not just the Old Testament, but even today, there really is an enemy out there every single day who's out there not just looking at you. They're out there to destroy you. It's real, right? And this is just one passage dealing with that, okay? And that's what we see in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 through 9. Be self-controlled and alert over absolutely nothing. No, no. What's the whole premise of being self-controlled and alert? Because you're who? The enemy, you got one. Okay, it's a real one. The who? The devil. What's he doing every day? He is prowling around like a roaring lion. He's looking for somebody to devour, right? He's not there just looking at people. He's out there to destroy people. So what do you do? You need to freak out and run to the hills. No. Stand firm. Resist him, right? Just like Elisha. Stand firm in the faith. You don't need to worry about that. Oh, and by the way, don't act like you're the only one going through this. This is how stinking evil he is. It's a global thing that he's doing watch this because you know that you're what your brothers your fellow christians throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings so here we see again from this text we glean from it the devil's not just real but he's really out there not just messing with me not just messing with you he is messing with with the demons he's messing with every single christian on the planet every day right what it says right there okay and that's why we need to wake up and be on our guard didn't say freak out didn't say run to the hills but it said hey open your eyes oh i just servant, deal with it it's real but you don't need to be afraid now what was the problem we saw before what's the church doing today mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. and not just a couple people what was the stats remember that 65 percent of the professing american church does not believe in a literal devil and that was that one stat. Remember the other freaky stat we looked at? Okay, that was bad enough. The other one said it could be as high as 91 to 99%. I mean, think about that. Let's say there was, let's, how many of you guys hooked on math? How many of you guys said, forget that, praise God for calculators? <laughs> you know? right. Either one of you guys, right? Let's say there's 200 people here today, right? And you got that higher number, 91 to 99%. Take that high number. Only two of you here believe what in the world I'm preaching on from the Bible, by the way. That's the status of the American church. The rest of you are going like, what are we doing this for? Or like, what? man, we need to get a different pastor. <laughs> right? That's the stats. That's how freaky it is. Now, this blows me away because, number one, hello, I, I, I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but every week when I pull this up, and when I'm quoting it on the PowerPoint there, did you know this is not Reader's Digest Dictionary? Did you know that? Right? Did, did you know this, this is the Bible? Is this what blows me away? I, I'm preaching the Bible. What do you mean? There's, there's, we don't, what? It's from the Bible. And if you're to be a shepherd, you preach all the Bible. So you got to deal with it at some point. And, and, and on top of that, what's so wild is, you ain't got to look far for demons, folks. In fact, I kid you not, just 
Last week, I go out in the backyard. There was a demon that popped out of my dog's doghouse, man. Watch this. I got it on tape. Praise God for cell phones. Watch this. This is creepy. chills man looking at that thing man but praise god we were able to get it on tape man because you guys i tell you what well, you don't believe me but i tell you what now 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 in all seriousness all right chickens are evil especially that size can you believe they actually get that big Whew, let's just close in prayer no okay but <laughs> but seriously folks it's because i did that for this purpose because you're like how in the world could the uh, church get in that state where they don't even believe in the literal devil. Well, I think a lot of it in ministry and history, what I've seen, I think it's because of that kind of behavior. People actually really would say that. How's the demon popping on the doghouse? Right? They blame the devil for everything. It's the old Flip Wilson the uh, theology. The devil made me do it, right? Remember that? Okay. They blame the devil for, and it, and it pushes the other people away because they do, granted, go to the extreme. They blame the devil for everything. I mean, the demon caused a flat tire. There's a demon in my coffee table. My son won't go potty because there's a demon in the toilet. Now, see, you think I'm making that up. That's a real story. And I'll tell it to you. Pastor friend of mine, I kid you not, the family called him up, says, here's a house call for you as a pastor. Pay attention, interns. <laughs> I kid you, and they were dead serious. They said, Pastor, we want you to come over to our house and do an exorcism on our toilet. Not making it up. Why? Because our son won't go potty. It's got to be a demon that lives in our toilet. What? tell you what okay but that's the real and that's what people do right i and i'm not making this up i had another lady uh uh in or i was doing an internship and one of the youth they came to me and confided in me they says man my mom is just getting a little crazy on this demon stuff and i said really and he said yeah he says it's getting so bad man she, oh, she's in a constant state of fear in fact it's getting so bad i'm not making this up he said every day when she goes to work she she takes garbage bags and she loads all of her clothes into the garbage bags and then she puts them in her car trunk full of all the clothes and, the, and then she goes to work. Okay, the reason why? Because she got some false teaching and, 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 and to where when she was gone at work, the demons were going to curse her clothing. And so she had to pack them up, put them in her trunk. I'm not making this up. This is really going on. Now here's my point in bringing this up. In all seriousness, it's that kind of unfortunate behavior. That hyper-extremism, when you're dealing with the devil and demons, that now I think the other church is going basically now too far this way. Telling, oh, that's just a bunch of baloney. Those guys, I'm not one of those guys. Well, I like to say this, two wrongs don't make a right. Right? Yes, don't go to that extreme, and guess what? Sometimes it ain't the devil that caused the problem, it was you. Right? We make some bad decisions, right? But guess what? Don't go to this extreme either and act like it's not real. Open your eyes, Elijah's servant. You need to realize this is real. And somebody's really out there trying to tempt you every single day to sin against God. It's real. Okay? We got to deal. Listen, why do you think that argument started in the first place? You really think it's just all natural? I mean, where did you think that thought came from? I mean, you're having a great time with Jesus, and all of a sudden, bang. I mean, you're, it's, and it's drawing you away to some sort of a... A sin? Where, do you think it's just, just the, in the wind? Why do you think you're experiencing such opposition? Why is it that, man, things are going right and all of a sudden somebody, somebody just threw a spiritual wrench in the world? What's going on? Do you really think it's just natural? No. The Bible says, yeah, sometimes it's from us, our own sin nature. Yeah, sometimes it's from the sin nature of other people. But there's a third category out there. It's called spiritual warfare. And we need to open our eyes to that. Now, I'm going to share with you a video clip, okay? A little bit kind of cheesy dated graphics, but it hopefully gets the point across. But Christian, we need to open our eyes and deal with this. Not all the battles we face are against flesh and blood. It's not always natural. Sometimes, just as you walk about your life, whether you see it or not, there is a spiritual realm, and demons are out there trying to mess things up. We don't have to be afraid. Stand in the Lord. Stand firm. Resist him, but don't act like this isn't going on every single day. Let's take a look at that.
every day. Whether you see it or not, that's one of the options. Why are you experiencing so much temptation? Why is there so much opposition? Why aren't things going that way? Because guess what? Not everybody's saved, which means they don't belong to God. They belong to who? The devil. Spiritual warfare is out there, folks. We need to open our eyes like the servant of Elijah and realize that the moment we got saved, again, we entered into what? We entered into that reality. A spiritual war against a demonic host whose sole purpose is out there to destroy you and extinguish your effectiveness for Jesus Christ. But what do we do? We do just like Daniel there. You stand strong in the armor of God and the victory that Christ has already won for us. We're in this world, just not of this world. But you can't walk around acting like that doesn't exist because that's one of the three ways that the enemy is out there trying to destroy your walk with Jesus Christ. So again, we cannot deny the existence of a Satan and demons. Now, the second way that we are headed for a tortured life right, is when we start dwelling in Satan's dominion, right? How many guys would say it's probably not a good thing to uh, not only act like Satan and demons are not real, and man, you're going to be tortured, they're going to have a heyday with you, right? You won't even, you won't even know how to deal with it because you won't even acknowledge it, right? Uh, but number two, how many guys would say that probably one of the other dumbest things you could do with all due respect as a Christian uh, is to play in the devil's playground, right? It's just like, uh, man, why do I keep getting a bit by hornets? Well, stop smacking on the hornet's nest. Right? It's kind of goofy, right? The problem is we don't even know or acknowledge, Christian, what is the devil's playground? Now, the devil's playground is the world we live in. I didn't say that. God did. So let's understand where he is trying to pull us in and play his game. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 3-4. through 4, If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it's hidden only from those who are perishing. For who? Satan, who is the God, little g, of this world he's blinded the minds of those who don't believe john 12 31 the time for judging this world has come when satan what the ruler of this world will be cast out ephesians 2 1 through 2 once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins you used to live in sin christian just like the rest of the world obeying the devil the what the commander of the powers in the unseen world he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey god so the scripture is very clear, folks, and there's more. But if there's one truth the Bible is clear, it's this. Satan is the little G, the little God, the ruler behind this wicked world system. And that's the thing that we need to wake up and realize, right? We're in this world, you, the scripture says in John, but just don't be of it. Why? Because, listen, if Satan is wicked and evil, and he is, can we agree on that? Right? Then, therefore, that means his dominion must also be wicked and evil, right? Well, what's his playground? What's his dominion? This world. So that means when we play in this wicked world system, that's what we're doing. We're playing in a wicked pit. You might as well start beating on the hornet's stand. Hey, let's hear some fun. Let's go jump in a, a pile of vipers. Woohoo! Yeah! Why would you do that? You're going to get stung. You're going to, ah! That's this wicked world system, right? It's evil. And the Bible says that Satan tempts us as Christians, even though we say, who in the world would ever want to flirt with Satan's dominion? Who would ever want to join him in, in all that? The Bible says he does it in three different ways to tempt us into his dominion. And that is what's called the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Okay. We'll just keep moving forward. Must be important stuff. Interesting. But hey, it's the same three ways that Satan uh, tempts his folks. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Into his dominion. Come on in. Play in my playground. This is what I want you to do. It's the same thing that he used to tempt Adam and Eve with. Okay? And we're going to see it's the same thing that he does today. Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 says this. Now when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for the food. What's that? Lust of the flesh. Right? And pleasing to the eye. Lust of the eye. Okay, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. What happened? That's the pride of life. She took some and what? She ate it. And from that point forward, everything went great with humanity. <laughs> no, not at all. Okay, that's what caused the fall of mankind. The same three traps that Satan used in the Garden of Eden are the same ones that were used today. And I didn't just make that up because that sounds really convenient with my sermon. That's what the Bible says, okay, in 1 John. So let's begin to analyze how he tries to pull us into his wicked world dominion today. The first one is the lust of the flesh. And that's what we see here, 1 John chapter 2, 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is something that's from God. It's great, and that's going to build up your self-esteem to have a satisfactory life. Oh, I'm sorry. That's right, Bobby. No, that's from what? The world. And who is the one who's the little G, the ruler of this wicked world system? Satan. So it's not coming from God. It's from the world. Now, here's what's interesting. You need to understand the word there, lust, 
Lust of the flesh, lust, right? The, it's the Greek word epithumia. And listen, it doesn't just mean passion. Listen, it means violently passionate, right? And this is what the enemy does. He tempts us. He seduces right in here. And he tries to get us, listen, not just passionate about joining him in his dominion to destroy us. He wants us to be violently passionate. And the first one that was mentioned there was the lust of the flesh. What's that? That is every day you get up out of bed, you are violently passionate about what? You. It's all about you. What you want. Feed your flesh. I got out of, and the first thing I did was not spend time with God. I didn't even think about God. I surrendered my calendar to God. No siree, because it's all about me, right? What I want to do, this is all my day, my thing, my agenda, my... Where's that coming from, the Bible said? It ain't coming from God. It's coming from Satan. He is trying to poison your walk with Jesus Christ. To not live for God. To live for the lust of the flesh. It's the same tactic he used against Adam and Eve. The Bible tells us we do not exist, Christian, to please ourselves. That's from Satan. We exist to please God. And that's what we see in Romans 14, 7 through 8. For we are not our own masters when we live or die. While we live, we live to what? Christian, why do we get out of bed every day? Why are we still here? We live to please God. And when we die, we go to be with the Lord. Amen. So that in life and death, we belong to who? We belong to the Lord, okay? And this is, again, what the enemy is going to tempt us with. Every single day when you get out of bed, okay, he is going to try to keep you from becoming a mighty warrior for Jesus. Because if you want to be a mighty warrior for Jesus, you live to please Jesus. You're thinking about Jesus. The first thing out of your mouth is, thank you, Jesus. You spend time with Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about he, not you. And so when you get up out of bed and throughout the day, let alone the whole day, if you're not thinking about God and all you're thinking about is you, 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 what you want to do, you, 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 that is a trap. That is Satan's dominion. That's one of the three ways he's going to try to knock you for a loop in your walk with Jesus Christ. Okay, but that's just the first one. Uh, he also mentions a second one there, as we saw there, and that was the lust of the what? Lust of the eye. So let's, again, let's go back uh, to that text there and take a look at what's going on there. First John 2, 16, for all that is in the where... Not from God, the world. Here's how he's going to do it. He's going to try to get you with the lust of the flesh. Number two, the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. That's not from the Father. That is from the world, this wicked world system. So the second thing is he's going to try to get you to go for the lust of the eye. Now, what's that? Basically, that's, again, personal satisfaction. But the personal satisfaction comes at a cost. It's all about getting that thing that is out there that is supposed to please you. Right? All the things, right? And isn't that what the commercials say on TV? Right? You get out of bed, unfortunately, you turn on your TV before you turn on the Bible. Right? And what's the first thing that first commercial says? You think you're having a good day? Oh, no, you're not. Not until you get this thing that you're seeing with your eye. You've got to have it. You've got to have it now. Are you feeling unpopular? Are you feeling low and depressed? You've got to have this car. You've got to have this new home. You've got to have a what? you got new, new, new. Right? What is that? It's coming from the world. What is it? It's trying to get you to be violently passionate. Why do I exist today? It's all about me. <laughs> but I've also, while I'm out there li living for me, I've got to have these things. Everything that my eyes are seeing. That's lust of the eye. Okay, and the Bible is very clear, folks. You walk that route, it's not only going to poison your walk with Christ, you'll stay an ineffective warrior for Christ. You'll become a slave. That's what the enemy's up to. It's modern-day slavery, right? And that's why Jesus puts it on the line. He says, you better make up your mind when you get out of bed who you're going to serve. Because you only got two options. And here's what he says here, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve what? Two masters. For you will hate the one. You'll what the one? You'll hate the one. Serious emotions here. And love the other. Opposite ends of the spectrum. Or you're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. And here's your two options. You cannot serve both God and you say, well, I'm a Christian. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not greedy. I don't, I don't live to you know, serve money. I'm, I'm serving Jesus Christ, really? Well, you're out there, and every mandate, you're not thinking about God. You can care about God. You care about serving for God. You don't spend time with God. You know what your concern is every day? I got to get that new thing. I, I, there, hey, that's why I'm working, right? Because I got to work to get a bunch of money so I can get a bunch of money to what? To buy things. Because, I mean, I already got some things, but apparently I need more things, and I need new things. I need bigger things. Ah! Right? Well, what's the, what's the problem? Well, guess what? Most of us uh, weren't born with uh, $45 million in the pocket. How many of you guys can confer? 
right? So you're out there what? You're trying to do what the world says to do. You need to get out there to get a job and keep working another job. And, and then, hey, how about work a second job and three jobs, nine jobs? And how about uh, finding a, oh, oh what's that? You, you don't have enough money to get that thing that you're violently passionate about. You got to have it now, right? Because it's all about personal satisfaction. It's about what? Instant fulfillment, right? So what do you do? Well, here's this thing. It's, it's very square, right? And uh, it's called a credit card. And you can buy now, pay later. And boy, do you pay later. What happens? It's called consumer debt, right? And then, then, well, hey, you need another one of those? I'll give you another one. That's a two cards, three cards, four cards. Give me five, give me five. Hey. <laughs> right? And then what happens? You are in something called debt. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Debt stands for dumb excuses for buying things, right? And so now because you are violently passionate, every day it's all about you, lust of the flesh, right? And then lust of the eye. I've got to have that thing. I've got to have it now. And I don't care if I ain't got the money. Oh, I, 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 I'll buy it on the credit card. Oh, I'm sure it'll come later. And then, does this sound familiar to anybody? Is this coming from God? Is this how we're supposed to live and grow up in Him? No, it's a trap. It's the second trap. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and it will destroy our walk with Jesus Christ. It's modern day slavery, right? Because now you don't have time for God. Now you don't have time to spend to God because you got to hurry up and get to that first job to the second job. And, and no, you ain't got time to do anything. You ain't got time to serve because you're so wiped out, so tired, working, money, debt. Uh. Because now you're serving your new master. He seduced you. Because you had to have that thing. That's called lust of the eye. That's the second way he'll tempt you. The third way that the enemy will tempt you is what's called the pride of life. Uh, you just got to tell people how cool you are. Yeah. I mean, that's why we exist, right? Well, you listen to the wicked world system. That's what they say. Now, let's take a look at that passage again. 1 John 2.16. For all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life right? That's not from the Father. We'll say it again. It's from who? It's from this wicked world system. And now you tell me that's not what's being brainwashed in your heads every single day. We've talked about this for, I don't know how long, but from we high, what's the mandate for kids in school? It's all about you. Self-love, self-esteem, self-respect, self, self, self. You've got to demonstrate how cool you are. In fact, they even throw out this mandate. If you don't do that, and if you don't build up that and boast about you and how cool you are, you're not going to have a fulfilling life. Are you serious? No wonder kids are so prideful. You don't think that our world is full of themselves and prideful? You just come to that stop sign or that stoplight and watch how slow people move. Look, at, you know what I'm talking about. And then you want to lay hands on them in a non-Christian way. And they just look at you. <laughs> slow. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot something. They back up. Oh, what is that? It's pride. It's crazy. You're flirting with an automobile smashing you. That's pride. It's not just dangerous. Sometimes pride will burn you, right? It'll burn you big time, okay? In fact, what's really funny, uh, reminds me of this, this story. There's two Texans who are trying to impress each other with the size of the ranches, right? It's all about you, pride, right? And one asked the other one, he goes, well, what's the name of your ranch? And so he replied, he says, well, my ranch is this. It's the rocking R-A-B-C flying W circle C bar U staple four box D rolling M rainbows in silver spur ranch. And the guy goes, whoa, man, that's impressive. And he exclaimed, well, that's, that's some name you got there. How many head of cattle do you run? And the rancher said, well, not many. Very few survived the branding. <laughs> Hamburger on the spot. Okay. <laughs> but that's the pride of life. It's not just dangerous. Give me a break. It will burn us every single time. Why? Because the enemy's not dumb. It's the third way he'll get you to pull you into his wicked dominion. And that's all coming from the world. The Bible says, Christian, we don't get up to boast about ourselves. We live for God, right? And this is what the scripture says, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do. How many guys would say that's everything? Yeah. Hello. Whatever you do, why? Do we exist? You must. It's an imperative. You must do all for the glory of yourself. God. We exist for him, okay? And again, you think, well, it's no big deal. No, folks, you under he's poisoning your walk with Christ. Now, I didn't say he could take away your salvation because he can't. 
But he is putting these tempting stumbling blocks in your path every day to get you off course before you even make it out of the house. It's real. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Listen, and it's important because unless you live a life that is satisfying to God, you're going to end up living a life that is sickening to God. And then you're gonna, he's going to have a heyday with you. And then the next thing you know, you live like that. Listen, you no longer resemble the one who saved your soul. You now look and sound like the one who hates your soul, the devil himself. Because guess what, folks? Of all three of these, this one is what caused the fall of Satan, pride. And so when you go around all day long and it's all about you and how cool you are and your accomplishments and this and yourself, this, self, that, self, that, you sound just like the devil. And that's got to break God's heart. Okay? Now, as we get ready to close... This is what Satan does, because he doesn't just, have you guys noticed that when he tries to tempt you into his dominion, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life, it doesn't come in this ugly package. Like, See, that's the, that's the lie. It's, it looks good. It looks pleasing. Oh, on the outside, surely that's good for me, right? Well, I'm going to give you an analogy of that trickery going on, and hopefully it puts a sick taste in your mouth. So we realize that, folks, just listen, every package from hell comes disguised in ecstasy. Do you realize that? Okay, think about it. So don't be fooled on the externals. Understand that there might be something different internally, something poisonous, something bad for you. Now, I'm going to give you that analogy now, and it goes something like this. Uh, praise God for Facebook. I mean, big brother. I mean, Facebook. Because I can find out things as a pastor about the congregation, how well you guys are doing. As you guys know, I warn you repeatedly about the dangers of what? Chicken, how many times are we going to go through this? But as you can see, actual members here. Sorry, guys, you post it, I use it. Okay, that's the rule, right? As you can see here, look at that. They're, they're even posting about it. There's like it's chickens. Oh, on the outside, Pastor Billy, you don't understand how crispy and yummy it is. And look at that. And we're eating at Cane's. Ha, ha, ha. Don't you realize Cane stands for chicken eaters are nauseous, even sick? Don't you realize what's going on? KFC, keep feeling cruddy. Keep feeling cruddy. Go for it. I don't recommend it. Okay. But see, you, oh, you think it's good. It's so crispy on the outside. It's so yummy. Are you, are you sure that's chicken? Or could it be rats? <laughs> now, before I continue, I'm not making this up. Did you know there are cultures out there in the Far East who actually consider rat a delicacy? Okay. John, you know, right? And, uh, and they eat rats. But how are they going to get somebody to eat something as gross as a rat? Well, pay attention, folks. Is that really chicken you're eating? Well, first of all, they put the rats in a bowl, just like chicken, right? You got to put them in a bowl. And of course, they kill them. But uh, then what you do is you burn the hair off, right? Because nobody likes a hairy rat. Can we agree on that one? You burn the hair off, right? And then you wash them because you don't want a dirty, hairy rat, okay? And uh, so you got to you know, keep them clean. And then you, you chop them up. Hey, what's that look like? It sure looks like chicken parts to me, I tell you why. And uh, you can't tell the difference, can you? And it, well, you season them to taste extra special. Ooh, surely that's chicken they're about ready to serve. And hey, you deep fry it. Everything's good in deep frying, right? And look at that. And you put it on a plate. Oh, yum, yum, yum. Now you're ready to eat. Oh, look at that. But let's take a closer look. And what do we see? That's right. It's not chicken. It's rat, the other white meat. Now, is that a misfortune or what? That wasn't chicken. Now, not obviously is that a truth that we need to be aware of in the physical. Hopefully you'll pay attention. I'll find no more of those creepy pictures on Facebook. But in all seriousness, this is what Satan does. This is what he does every single day. We got to deal with it. He's out there to tempt us. It looks good on the outside. Oh, look at that. Uh, the, the lust of the flesh. I mean, who doesn't want to live for self? I mean, and the, 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 the lust of the eye. I got to have it. I mean, it's going to give me a fulfilling life. Yeah, yeah well, it does make you go blind. That's right. The pride of life. I mean, that's what they've been telling me since I was in kindergarten school. It's all about me and boasting about me, me. No, it's Satan's rat meat. It looks good on the outside, but you better be careful what you're gobbling down. And the Bible says that's not what we exist for. It's time that we Christians put on discernment glasses to realize the world that we live in. It's wicked. It's evil. And every day when we step out of our house, 
He's out there tempting you. We need to put on the spiritual glasses. You know where you get those glasses? It's called right here, this book, the Bible. The Bible is the only book that gives us the worldview, the biblical worldview, to see what's really going on. When you step out in this world, it is Satan's playground. And he's out there in these three ways to get you. To get you to buy, buy, buy. It's all about you. So obey him, not God. And only the Bible gives us the vision to see the difference, not so we have to freak out, but just so we can be aware and stop falling for the traps. It's like this guy. Watch this. This is cool. Every day in this world, that's what's going on spiritually. Looks good on the outside. But when you put the biblical worldview on, wow, what a trap. How's he do it? Same three ways, same way he did in the Garden of Eden. Still going on today. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life, and it's everywhere. Christian, I will say this. If you love any more book than the Bible, if you love any more pleasure than prayer, any satisfaction more than the Savior, you're living in Satan's dominion. He's got you. And we need to get back, put the biblical discernment glasses on and realize this is not a game. We're in a war. Get out of the playground. Yes, we're in it. Just don't be of it. We don't need to be afraid. But let's not walk around and act like this is not really going on because it is. That way, we can continue to move forward for Christ, grow up in Christ, and actually become a threat to the enemy and see how many people we can pull out of that wicked playground. Amen? Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Now, before you answer that, let me uh, share with you a couple things that the Bible says. The Bible says that God is holy and that we are not. And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. We don't deserve to go to heaven when we die. We deserve to go down. We deserve to go to hell. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this problem that we have, that we're separated from God not only now, but we're going to be separated from Him for all eternity in a place called hell. We, we, we don't even want to admit that. So, once again, out of love, God gives us what's called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were God's x-ray, if you will, divine x-ray to, to get us to admit the problem that we have inside that's separating us from Him. Let, let, let's take a look at a few of those of God's divine x-ray. 
For instance, if you think that you're worthy on your own, you don't need a Savior, uh, you're going to get to heaven all by yourself, then let's take a look at God's test there. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments. The ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. Uh, how many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, you just told one. But folks, we've all done that. That makes us a liar. The Ten Commandments, God's x-ray, showing us that we have sin that's separating us from Him. We're not holy and perfect like Him. The Fifth Commandment says this, you shall not steal. Don't ever once take anything without permission. How many of you have ever done that? Well, if we're not going to tell another lie, we, we should all admit that as well. Well, that makes us a thief now. The Bible says that God is so holy, uh, even His name is holy. And that's why the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And if we're honest again, folks, hey, a lot of us, how many of us have used the blessed name of Jesus Christ? The only name, the Bible says, under heaven that men might be saved. We've now turned it into a common cuss word, if you can believe that. The Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says, hey, show, you want to show God you're so perfect, you have no sin? Then don't ever once commit adultery. And you might say, well, I, I've never done that, really? Jesus lays the standard before us. God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside. Jesus said, if you ever looked with lust in your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's His holy standard. One more. The Bible says, okay, you think you're so good? Uh, then don't ever once commit murder. You shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I, at least I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible again says that the sin of hatred, wishing someone was uh, dead, is akin to the sin of murder. It's just, if you will, you pull the trigger in your heart. So, so, so how are you doing? That's just five out of ten of God's divine x-ray, by the way, uh, showing us the problem. How are you doing? Not if, but when your time comes, we're all going to stand before God. You will be forced to admit what He already knows. Hey, God, let me in. Let me in. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a, I'm a thief. I'm a, a blasphemer, an adulterer, and a murderer. And the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not headed to heaven in that state. You're headed to hell. But here's the good news. God said if we would just admit this, number one, then he could fix it. And it gets fixed only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, He says, I am the way, the life, and the truth, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because only Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And Jesus died on the cross. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be set free. And since we weren't there, and since it's a gift and we can't earn it, we have to receive that wonderful gift by faith. And the Bible says God will pardon us for our crimes, our sins, against Him. And you could actually see this analogy working uh, in the natural, in the normal world. Uh, we see this actually uh, in the courtroom. For instance, if a person is guilty and, and everybody knows they're guilty, they've committed a horrible crime and, and, and the, the sentence has passed, the judge has knocked down the gavel and says, hey, uh, you are going to jail, you are going to the death penalty for that crime. And, and we know that people, that happens all the time and they go to jail, but believe it or not, did you know there's a way for that person, even though they're guilty, to actually be set free from that crime? It's called a pardon. And the one in authority, the governor, has the part out of mercy, out of goodness, certainly nothing that that person did in jail. They can't undo the crime. It's too late. But out of mercy, the governor could go down there and grant that person in jail a full pardon for their crimes. And by receiving that pardon, the doors come open and they are set free and they're rescued from the death penalty. Folks, that's what God is doing every single day with us spiritually. He has allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the death penalty in our place. He's pardoned us, but a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it. And it's actually been on historical record that there have been people on death row who a governor has gone down out of mercy and extends to them a full pardon, but they've rejected it. And by their own doing, they went to the death penalty. Folks, don't make that same mistake for all eternity. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done. All of it. Even the sins we don't even know about. He wants to pardon you and forgive you, but you must receive that by faith today. The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you call upon His name, ask Him to forgive you of all your sins, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Please do that now. Please do that today because tomorrow 
may be too late. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries. Again, thank you for joining us. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. Our information and number and uh, things will uh, pop up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.